0: Hey, you're listening to About Time, a podcast produced by Timely, the world's first AI-powered time tracking app. To see where your time actually goes, head to timelyapp.com. In this series, we're tackling the big questions behind our relationship with time, like whether it exists tangibly in our universe, or is just something humanity has socially constructed we've already discovered that the world's languages and cultures speak about it differently, that there is no universally shared concept of time. But how does this idea hold up in the world of science? Does time exist as a physical substance outside of us, flowing eternally forward? Where does time come from and does it have an end? What exactly do our clocks even measure? Join me and world-renowned physicist Carlo Rovelli in probing the very stuff of our universe. I'm Emily, and this is the Physics of Time. seen as part of the fundamental grammar of the world. There's a sense that it's out there, in our universe, flowing forward from past to future. And it flows equally for all of us, wherever we are in the world. We all exist at the same moment in a global now, with a fixed past and an open future. We may not be able to see, smell, touch, or taste it, but we know time is there and passing. The movement of our watches says so. This is the concept of time we use in our everyday lives. It helps us organize and coordinate ourselves and largely forget about bigger existential issues. But while useful, there is no strong scientific evidence showing this physical view of time is actually true. The more scientists investigate time, the more the idea of it being a substantive, physical property of the universe proves to be false. After centuries of debate, theories and experiments, physicists still can't agree on what time actually is, or whether it even exists outside of the human mind. In this episode, we'll take a brief tour of the physics of time, looking at the biggest theories that have shaped our current scientific understanding of it. While we can't promise to solve the mystery of time entirely, we can hopefully mop up some of the biggest myths and misunderstandings. So, that concept of flowing time you've always held to be true is a lie. But who spread the idea in the first place? And if it's not true, what do our clocks measure? Let's start by clearing up one thing. The idea of a universal flowing time is actually relatively recent in the history of physics. The theory is popularly credited to Isaac Newton and became hugely influential from the 17th century onwards. But before he arrived on the scene, many alternative ideas had already taken hold. Back in the 11th century, Islamic scientist and philosopher Avicenna argued that time existed only in the mind, dependent on individual memory and expectation. And as early as the fourth century BC, Aristotle defined time as the measurement of change, stating that where nothing happened, time would not exist. In this sense, time was nothing more than a way of counting the changing of things. In contrast to these more subjective ideas of time, Newton's theory was rigidly physical. He argued for the existence of an absolute true time that existed equally across the universe. It had substance and flowed forward in one direction, passing independently of things and their changes. Unlike Aristotle, he believed it materially existed. It would continue to pass relentlessly in the background, even if you stopped thinking about it. It's hard not to understate the importance of Newton's idea. He essentially helped construct modern physics by creating a mathematically true singular time that is constant everywhere, accurate and repeatable experimentation could take place. It's a version of time that modern science continues to use, called proper time, and it's the time your watch meters out. Proper time has endured because it's so practically useful to society. But be under no illusions. Flowing time is an intellectual construction not a physical truth of our universe. It may bring more order to our lives, but it doesn't explain what time actually is. It would take another three centuries for Newton's singular view of time to be challenged, but when it finally arrived, the blow was shattering. Enter Einstein. The space-time continuum, E equals mc squared, the theory of relativity, Even though most of us aren't fully aware of what they mean, their familiarity speaks of the sheer force of Einstein's legacy. Within the world of science, he's revered for developing one of the two pillars of modern physics, publishing more than 300 scientific papers in his lifetime. Within popular culture, his name is a synonym for genius. So what exactly did Einstein bring to the theory of time? And why, a century on from his theories of relativity, are we still not over him? Before we dive into the details, it's worth noting that he didn't completely destroy all preceding thought on time. He actually showed that Aristotle and Newton were both right to some extent. He suggested when and where could always be located in relation to something, as Aristotle suggested with his change idea and that Newtonian mathematical time could exist as a special case in his space-time theory of gravity. This concept of space-time is central to all Einstein's theories. He argued that time could not be understood without space, or vice versa. No person, event, object or action could be located in space and not also in time. That we need both to establish distance and intervals between events. It was this idea that effectively overturned Newton's concept of an independent time that flows regularly and separately from everything. And here is how he did it. Einstein Blow number 1 Universal clock time is an illusion, since time actually passes at different speeds in different places. His 1905 special theory of relativity argued time operates relative to an observer, It depends on how fast we're moving and our frame of reference. The faster we move, the slower time passes for us. Einstein blow number two. Time runs slower wherever gravity is strongest. Put another way, a mass slows down time around itself. He detailed this in his 1915 General Theory of Relativity, which suggested that time on Earth moves faster higher up. So somebody living in the mountains ages slightly slower than somebody living at sea level. A clock placed on a table runs slightly faster than one placed on the floor. And time passes more quickly for your head than it does for your feet. It's a tough one to get your brain around. An alternative way to imagine it is to think of a 12-inch record turning on a player. To complete one rotation, a point at the very edge of the record moves faster than a point closer to its centre. It's not a perfect example, but it might make it easier to visualise. Either way, this theory suggested something dramatic, that time is relative and personal, not absolute. No single clock tells the right time. There are instead a web of different local times throughout physical space and clocks at these points change relative to each other. There are as many different times as there are locations in space, and since our speed through time can affect how quickly it passes, there is not even a single correct time for any particular place. This in turn gives way to Einstein blow number three. We live in a block universe. Instead of a dynamically moving time that fixes the past and flows into an open-ended future, all time is instead mapped out within a 4D curved block of space, with past, present and future already being fixed. All events that have ever or will ever occur are permanently located to an exact point. Leading to Einstein Blow number 4. Nothing happens simultaneously at the same time. There is no single now experienced across the world, but rather a multitude of them. But even the idea of now is problematic for Einstein. He shot down the idea that only the present is real and the past and future are not, with his view of eternalism. He argued there was no flow from past to present to future, that all states exist equally. If all events are mapped out in a 4D block universe, it makes more sense to think of a single present where nothing changes. Everything is motionless and change is just an illusion. It's a hard act to follow, but surely the physics of time doesn't stop there. Scientists can't be sitting somewhere quiet, jaws open, still processing the seismic hit Einstein dealt modern science. And indeed, they're not. The physics of time has continued to expand, and not all physicists completely subscribe to everything Einstein proposed. Einstein's eternalism, his universe where all events ever to occur are spatially fixed, has been challenged by the idea of transience that the world undergoes continual transformation. It is not static or motionless. And scientists have discovered some evidence suggesting that perhaps time does actually have a direction, that the past is separate and distinct from the future. The proof lies in thermodynamics, the branch of physics that looks at the relationship between heat and energy. The second principle of thermodynamics states that heat can flow only from hot to cold and never from cold to hot. So your hot cup of coffee can cool, but it can't spontaneously heat up again. This law is used to illustrate something scientists like to call entropy, the measure of disorder within a given system. The heat concentrated in a cup of coffee is ordered, but becomes disordered when it moves outside of it. The implication is that nature tends towards an irreversible process of disorganisation. So entropy, or disorder, always grows with time. This law of entropy in nature is the only physical law currently discovered suggesting that time has a direction or a movement, that we can have a before and an after, that a warm cup of coffee will become cold in future. But before you settle back into the idea of a one-directional time, A word of caution, beyond the thermodynamic arrow of heat, entropy is itself flawed. Firstly, there will always be more disordered states in nature than ordered ones. Shuffle a deck of cards ordered by suit and you'll realise how many versions of disorder are possible. And secondly, what we define as order and disorder completely depends on our perspective. So we could order a pack of cards by alternating red and black, or by ascending number from one to 10, or by putting all the red cards in the pack first. We are the ones who give meaning to what we are seeing. So our measure of entropy depends on the variables we choose to focus on. When you look at it this way, you could say that entropy never actually decreases. This growth of disorder is just a perspective effect just as the sun does not actually move across the Earth's sky, but from our position on Earth, it appears to do so. Disorder is not dictated by any formal directionality, but it's relative. This one physical law, proving the existence of directional time, is not free of our own human perspective. Things get a whole lot more existential at the quantum level. Einstein showed us that the passage of time is determined by the gravitational field. And since this field is a physical object with quantum properties, scientists therefore expect the physics of time to be affected by quantum mechanics. A quantum is the smallest amount of any physical quantity that can exist independently in the universe. And when you study how they behave, like Carlo Ravelli does, you realize that within this quantum world, there is no evidence for time.
1: Now, we do not have yet a convincing and agreed-upon theory of quantum gravity, but in the tentative theories that we have, uh, time itself undergoes quantum fluctuations uh, rather widely, so the usual notion of time just does not apply. And uh, uh, the simplest way of dealing with that is to essentially forget the notion of time and write the basic equations of the world without time.
0: So equations of quantum theory do not require time. Time and space become mere events and relations. But how come time still seems to be so directional for us? If the basic equations of physics do not distinguish between past and future, or a global now, how come time still seems to be so fluid?
1: this distinction between past and future is not present in the basic grammar of the world. The basic equations of physics do not distinguish past from future. It comes about only uh, because we have uh, a blurred vision of reality, quite remarkably, quite surprisingly, in fact quite shockingly, um, the, huge, uh, the hugely evident distinction between past and future is really statistical, is really due only to our blurred interaction with, uh, with, uh, with reality.
0: From our position, it is not possible to register all the quantum fluctuations going on at any one moment. We are not aware of the microscopic details of the world, so our interaction with the world is partial. We see a blurred version of it. And from this viewpoint, we cut the world into large pieces, taking things that emerge at scale and thinking of them in terms of concepts that are meaningful to us.
1: The ordered time, the single flowing ordered time that goes from the past to the future, it's really a description of the world at this approximate blurred level. Uh, not in the microphysics. And uh, it's really our picture of the world.
0: So we essentially assign order to time. From a world without time, it is we who create it. And that is largely informed by a very personal view of the world.
1: A, a big aspect, a key aspect of the way uh, we have the sense of flowing time, it's uh, actually related to our emotions. We don't have an emotionally neutral relation with time because time passes, it takes away things from us. Time is, uh, it gives us life and take us, uh, takes life away from us. Um, so there is a big emotion of time.
0: But this poses a huge problem for physics. If the whole endeavour of science is to explain the world in the most objective way, how can we respond to this idea of time as a largely emotional construct?
1: In science, we we try to uh, uh, clean up from emotions uh, um, to get an understanding. But I think if we do that, we just uh, fail to understand what time is, because time for us is to a large extent uh, exactly this emotion of the passing of time.
0: So what has the physics of time told us? That time is not a physical property of the universe. That there is no singular flowing time, but infinite relative times that pass at different speeds. That the closer we are to a mass, or the faster we move, the more that time slows down. There is no common present throughout the universe, only a local one and the past, future, entropy and any other appearance of order in time is something we've constructed ourselves from our own blurred perspective. To better understand what time is, science needs to adopt a completely different mental model to the ones we've used so far.
1: Time is not a single concept. It's not a a one thing or or, or one concept, one notion. It's really a multi-layered, stratified notions which is in part grounded uh, in, the, in, in, in the elementary physics of nature, in part uh, in the uh, approximations in which we, we, we live, uh, in part on the structure of our brain, the way our, our brain works, and in part in our, in our emotions. So um, if we try to say what is time in just one sentence, we just miss it.
0: Are we any closer to scientific consensus on what time actually is? In terms of definable laws, perhaps not, but at least in investigating further into what time is, science has taught us a lot more about ourselves.
1: Understanding time to to, to a large extent becomes understanding uh, the way we work, the way our our brain works, our our consciousness works. And that's why the, the problem of time is so fascinating.
0: In many senses, the emotion of time is precisely what time is for us. We create time, we give it meaning. Time is as much about ourselves as it is about the cosmos. When science achieves a grand unified theory of everything, perhaps we'll finally have a solid answer for what time is. We still don't know why it's there, when it began, or whether it can end. And, in the words of Stephen Hawking, if we find the answer to that, it would be the ultimate triumph of human reason. For then, we would know the mind of God. You've been listening to About Time, a podcast produced by Timely, the world's first AI-powered time tracking app. In case you missed our previous episode, The Language of Time, you can catch it on our About Time page at timelyapp.com slash time Join me for our next episode, where I'll be picking apart the idea of emotional time to see how things like consciousness, attention, and memory shape how we experience time. We'll explore why time seems to fly when you're having fun and drag when you're bored as well as the sense that time seems to speed up as you get older. If you like what you heard, leave us a review, share it with someone else, or download the episode to relive it all again. Thanks for listening, and thanks for your time.